All right, Troy, you're in the Thunder Dome. I see a smile, so he got. I'm the happy to even be even though here. he's even though you're not a Dursner necessarily. Um, you're still in the Thunder Dome. Um, it's going to be pretty intense. You know, we we really we really grill our guests pretty hardcore. So I think I think, uh, but I think you're up for the task. You're probably used to bring it, it on, on. on Twitter these days. Nice. <laughs> um, and this is actually you're our first sort of I would say generalist like non-energy guest for the I think. Um, so we're going to explore a bit in this episode. It's going to be fun. But um, yeah, we're here with Troy Cross, who, reading your Twitter bio, you're a philosopher, environmentalist, and a Bitcoiner. Um, That's right. And you're also a professor of philosophy at, I think it's Reed College? Reed College in Portland, Oregon. Nice. Um, so, and as, as we were sort of chatting before the podcast, you, to, depending on who your audience is, they're all perceiving you kind of differently. So you're, you're a chameleon of sorts. Um, but is there... Is there anything else you'd add to that? I, I heard that you're the chief compliance officer of, of ESG <laughs> to the Bitcoin community. Uh, yeah, where, yeah. Where no, does I, that report, come from? I report directly to the Bitcoin CEO. <laughs> I know, keep all the mining, keep all the miners in check. Yeah, no. yeah uh, we, we need that. No, it's weird. I sit very much on the boundaries of every community that I'm a part of, weirdly. Like, I'm a Bitcoiner. I am super pro Bitcoin. I've been in Bitcoin since 2011. Um, but I don't sign the dotted line for a lot of maxi tenets. Um, so I'm always viewed with suspicion. Uh, I get called a communist a lot. Uh, <laughs> uh, I, you know, it's weird because what makes you a communist inside of maxi circles is not what makes you a communist elsewhere. Uh, <laughs> you know, I push somebody on like the definition of communism and I ask them whether like Ronald Reagan would fit that definition and yes he would and so would Joseph McCarthy. <laughs> so I was like, okay, I'm I guess a Reaganite McCarthyite communist. Uh, <laughs> All right, so we've established some good some good facts here already, but what how would you describe just like the your day to day? Like you kind of wake up, tweet, uh go teach some classes, <laughs> like what what's tweet the again. what's the, yeah, what's <laughs> the 9 to 5 it. here? Uh it's weird. I meet with people all the time. I'm meeting with people like all day and I'm, I'm teaching a class on the philosophy of money. Actually, um, at a prep mm. that class. I've got thesis nice. students. I still am on committees. I'm doing the academic thing, but, um, really what's, what's taking my time is people reach out to me and want to meet with me because I'm either uninformed or they have some exciting opportunity they want to tell me about or whatever, you know? <laughs> so it's been weird. And, and the people I meet with just, uh, cover like the entire gamut of yeah people from the energy world people from the mining space uh bitcoin critics bitcoin fans and uh it's been a tremendous education i would say since i came public as a bitcoiner about a year and a half ago like via meetings all day is that when this started for you about a year and a half ago well yeah i was in i was in Bitcoin, but always anonymously. It was like a year and a half ago that I saw Kevin O'Leary uh, give. He's Mister Wonderful, the billionaire yeah, yeah, yeah. guy. So he had this this spiel at uh, Bitcoin Miami, um, and the spiel was, "We need to green Bitcoin," and the Wall Street won't accept it otherwise. It won't get Main Street acceptance otherwise. And his idea to do that was to divide up Bitcoin into green coins and blood coins. It's genius marketing, <laughs> blood, like blood diamonds. <laughs> wow. And 
he would certify yeah he would certify the green coins and charge a premium for them and i just uh lost it at like while watching it as a bitcoiner was like no 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 this is wrong (laughs) in so many ways it's it's a threat to fungibility it it uh it won't work anyway tracing uh tracing coins through through transactions and i that was where i had a different idea and decided to kind of go public with that yeah interesting and i'm we'll we'll get into it uh i think probably later in the episode we we did recently talk about like some projects uh that you're working on in that that realm which would be would be interesting to chat about but it has been interesting kind of i you know i was in bitcoin energy twitter and i do remember a year ago you kind of hitting the scene and like very like rapidly taking taking hold with with the message that was maybe um counter or not uh the what you were seeing in, in in sort of the mainstream of that community at the time and so i'm excited to dig into that but before we do that um well actually one, one more question on sort of your day-to-day before we um launch into kind of the icebreaker section here um is there any out of all these conversations and and you sort of most of what you've put out there i've seen on twitter i haven't seen as much like articles or you know written work or are you kind of developing like a perspective that you want to put out there in in some way or is that uh you know maybe not not on the agenda no i have a lot of ideas you know that are that are in progress um and yeah i have something i don't know it's going to be as grand as the age of the electron but i definitely do have a i definitely do have a a kind of overarching picture that i am developing yes great so well i'm excited to maybe what maybe we'll come back to that too yeah okay so this is the first time i've asked this question i don't even know if you are but when did you get derpilled are you derpilled i guess is a better way of asking it (laughs) am i derpilled yeah i i i think i i think i actually don't know nearly as much as i know anybody here about energy in general and distributed energy but like the general thesis i mean actually i i saw it a long time ago my father worked on some energy stuff at, at a he, he was leading a university in upstate new york he started generating his own electricity designed a methane digester he was using uh feedstock in uh cogeneration settings and he was like using the heat to do aquaponics and basically wow. becoming Sweet. energy and and then wow. feeding yeah he was growing tilapia and salads like in the you know in upstate new york in the winter and then feeding it to his students in the cafeteria right oh it my was God. just like a beautiful vision but also i realized what issues he had because he couldn't sell the he couldn't sell power back to grid to the grid at mm. anything like a decent rate and he couldn't cover his peak demand, right? And, and uh, so he had to just spend a tremendous amount of money on power and, and transmission despite almost being independent, right? Mm-hmm. So at that point, I could really see the benefit of cutting free of that incredible, mm-hmm. incredibly wasteful and captured and centralized uh, you know, s- system 
because he was almost there, right? And and that was a long time ago. That was maybe 15 years ago, 20 years ago. So I've had my eye on it, but it really wasn't until Bitcoin that I saw this kind of awesome parallel between decentralized money and decentralized power. And, you know, a lot of the same trade-offs you're making between efficiency and resiliency, you're also making with money. You know, Janet Yellen saying that Bitcoin payments are inefficient or many people say it, right? They are inefficient. It's it's always more efficient just to have a ledger that's centralized. Uh, but but what you get from that is this kind of resiliency in the network. And then the same thing holds true of power. So yeah. I guess I am DER-pilled mm-hmm. at some like abstract level. Mm-hmm. Uh, I got to say, that's one of the most, are, for someone who's not an energy person, that's probably the most interesting DER-pilled answer I've heard. Like cogen tilapia yeah. salad farming and, <laughs> and then into like the, the the sort of meta understanding of the efficiency resilience trade-off, which I certainly resonates with with me. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, but it is funny, you know, I, I certainly, I was... I guess getting dirt pilled in like 2016 or so at the same time that I was getting really into Bitcoin and, and, um, you know, that was sort of the run up to the, to the first ICO boom. I kind of watched all that happen, but to me, yeah, that it's, it's very similar, I guess you could say philosophically to me. Um, and that, that was always like a twin interest to me. And it's, it's been interesting to see how that has like progressed over time. Cause we weren't even talking about Bitcoin as a demand response asset back in like 2017. Like that was not um, a thing to me. It was, it was more just on at a high level, like in, um, yeah, on that, on the, in that high level, like principled way, I guess. But today we see a lot of Bitcoiners who are like into hyper centralized, like nuclear driven grids and this like divergence between what I view as exciting about Bitcoin and distributed grids is I, I, We'll get into it in the episode, but there's this very strange, um, sort of logically inconsistent phenomenon I feel like going on in the like Bitcoin energy intersection community and debate right now. I I couldn't agree more. I think that culturally, the big divide, um, politically, some somehow, uh, <laughs> centralization came to came to mean that people are going to tell you what to do and you know energy wise like tell you not to emit like the 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 grand narrative is like uh well we're up against this this global problem and we have a collective action problem so we need a an authority to solve the collective action problem by restricting human behavior that would proceed uninhibited and that and that restriction is on fossil fuels so by the you know enemy of my enemy is my friend somehow bitcoin by that logic bitcoiners became fossil fuel bros (laughs) it's so true yeah and then like shell is is sponsoring the next two years of the bitcoin miami conference are they really yeah yeah they want that sweet sweet load that is wild yes that's right they're becoming a power company now um Okay, wow, this is gonna be a fun one. But we we're gonna we're gonna get through the the simple questions here. What's your favorite D- der der? My favorite distributed energy resource. Period. I mean, I mean that term, as I understand it, includes load as well, right? Yes. If it's flexible, yeah. yeah. I mean, you, this is too easy. Yeah, I was like, I <laughs> feel like I, I like, you have to <laughs> you have to say it though. I mean, it's Bitcoin mining. 
That's it. It's, there is no second best. There's no second best. All right. We're going to move Amazing. on from that one. It's good. Um, what do you do? We always love hearing, what do you do outside of Twitter and, and, and teaching? Like, what do you have like other hobbies, uh, like joining a Bitcoin monastery or something like that? Like, what do you do in your free time? Um, uh, well, I, I, I bike, I ride my bike a lot. Um, it's part of why I live in Portland and I moved here for the cycling scene. Um, I'm jealous. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I ride less than I used to. I used to race and I wasn't any good. Um, but I ride my kids around in a cargo bike. That's how I, uh, do all my, basically all my transit is in, is on, is on human power here. And I'm, you know, only able to do that because it's Portland and it's set up for it. And not just Portland, but it's my neighborhood of Portland. Um, but it's just a better life. You feel better. You feel healthier. You feel happier. And and actually riding with other people. Wait, is, so you you use a cargo bike because you like it, not because uh, the deep state took away your car? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they got to add that to the to the list, like of you know, living in the pod and eating the bugs. It's like yeah. riding ride the bike. Riding your bike. You know, uh, <laughs> no, it, it, I look. I look into vehicles as I'm passing by and I just feel bad for people that they're not out in the weather, moving, breathing. You know, I love the feeling of my lungs just exploding, like going up a hill. And I'm, you know, I'm I'm 51. As you get old, you still need to feel alive. And for me, like, you know what I mean? Life gets boring. You just see, you you see your death, like out in front of you and like, (laughs) like you know when you feel when you when you're like racing with a bunch of people at 30 miles an hour and like just inches off the wheel you're very much alive and in the now (laughs) well you look like 40 for what it's worth i would not have guessed 51 so the cycling must be helping must be doing something (laughs) i think you should put a little gpu on your bike so you know some maybe you'll go a little slower but some of that you you make some bitcoin every time you ride (laughs) regenerative braking uh mining in the in the hub yeah that would be amazing every like seven thousand miles you get a bitcoin (laughs) (laughs) oh no way it would it would be much much farther um Okay, so I think this is an interesting one in kind of the context of me asking about like what what are you working on is what's the last job you want to have? What is like here? Like where is this headed to you? This is so wild, and I have to think about it constantly. And in some ways, I took this job and I pursued this career because it was my ideal of uh, retirement. Like when I, you know what I mean? When I was like twenty, I was like, well, what I want to do if I'm retiring? Well, I love teaching. I love being in the classroom. I love learning. I don't like writing so much, but, you know, I do like writing occasionally when I have something powerful to say. And um, this is already the retirement life, right? So I I, I didn't know what to leap to. And yet, right right now, uh, uh, I, I, you know, the, the college is just like it's a lot of work that I don't want to have to do. And I'm yeah. learning more outside it. So I actually have no idea what, what I would actually want to do. Like, like I thought about this when I had this idea, like, should I start a company? People encourage me to start a company and that'd be one idea. Just like run a company, build a team, do the thing, build, build a product. Um, I'm not sure that's right for me either. Um, I have no, actually have no idea. So it's a deep question. I am trying to (laughs) figure out what that life actually looks like, you know? 
I love it. We're we're gonna. I'm I'm excited to watch the journey. Um, and I should say, right. I'm like a, I mean, like advising. I don't know quite a few companies at this point. Yeah. Uh, some of them formally, a lot of them just informally. A uh, lot, lot of companies are talking to me, and I just talk to them. I mean, that's what a lot of those conversations are day to day. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's awesome. Um, all right, so last, last kind of warm up question here: What is your hottest energy take? Well, I mean, it sort of depends on the community. I would say. No, I was, was going to. I was expecting <laughs> you to say that. Yeah. You know, in in Bitcoin, my hottest energy take is not going to be hot in this crowd. I mean, it's that. Sadly, I just think nuclear is not happening uh, <laughs> at, at, at anything like the scale that Bitcoiners imagine it's going to happen at. Yeah, that's my. That's a pretty hot take. Yeah. Yeah, it's honestly it's my take too. It's it's not people are like, oh, that's like an anti-nuclear stance. I'm like, no, I'm just like no. looking at reality, and it's just not happening. That's why I didn't do my PhD in nuclear engineering. I was like, there's no jobs. Like, where? Like, this isn't just going to like pop out of nowhere. Like, I hope it does, but. Haven't seen that yet, right? Well, Troy. pop out of nowhere is like success is like in 10 years, we maybe have a prototype that then like 20 yeah. years from then like starts becoming somewhat feasible. And yeah, then we... always likes to talk about there's still wires. Yeah, <laughs> Troy, what, can you describe why? Can you articulate like how you arrived at that? Yeah, um, I mean, some of it was just looking at existing uh, cost overrun, time overrun. Of, of that industry, it's just ungodly terrible. And that is geography dependent. It's not everywhere and at all times. But if you think about why that is, and then I've read a few papers on why that is, um, you know, some of it has to do with regulation. And that's the popular Bitcoin answer is just regulatory problem. Obviously, that is a problem. But that's not the whole of the problem. It, the problem is the centralization of nuclear itself. It's that it's inherent in the technology, right? It, it's a technology that must be regulated and must be done right. And it involves the coordination of a lot of different people uh, and a lot of different, um, you know, regulatory bodies and, 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 you know, suppliers. So it's, it's supply, supply chain issues, it's um, uh, siting issues. And then, yeah, it's, the, it's, it's, it's tra- transmission has to be there. Uh, it, it it's a it's a big logistics problem, and why the when you dig into why the delays are happening, you don't see those problems easily going away. Some of them could you could mass produce uh, SMRs, you could sort of coordinate multi-state uh, areas in in regulations. You could come up with a few standard designs, and like there are ways to make it more efficient. And I hope we do those. Do I see that happening really quickly? No. Do I see that solving all the problems? No. I think it's still it's still just a a lot uh, harder, and then mm-hmm. and then it's just price, just just price. I mean, uh, given the cost curve on solar, I I think by the time you work those things out for nuclear, uh, you know, it's it's like it's like solar is already won. So uh, the the clock is ticking on solving those problems, given price and the price curve on solar. Okay, yeah. how did I do? As a non-energy person, I think that was a great answer. That yeah, nailed it. Great. Nailed yeah. all the big things. I I've always been so curious in this, right? Because you know, apart from SMRs, hopefully solving some of these problems, which I'm very supportive of and excited about. Yeah. Like the only existing solution there is one to making nuclear able to be built on time, on budget, relatively quickly. Like see some technology learning is 
like massive centralization. Just nationalize yes. the grid. Yes, exactly. One company to build all the reactors, like build up a domestic supply chain through industrial policy. And all the examples of nuclear success are, are that, basically, France. right? France, South Korea, China. Um, and it's just so, I just find it so sort of curious that the the thing um the thing that a group of bitcoiners seem to point to is is really something that's only achieved through uh the state basically um I, it's gotten, just it's yeah, fascinating I, i've gotten some bitcoiners to admit this that they are pro centralization when it comes to nuclear because we need it we need it for insurance uh you know what i mean you need the state stepping for that but also uh yeah, all of those logistics problems are basically yeah, bureaucracy, bureaucracy problems, and so you you need a you need hyper centralization. And I've gotten some Bitcoiners to just say, "Yeah, I'm pro centralization when it comes to nuclear." Just build <laughs> right? the yeah. damn is... power plants. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Which I just like. I, I, can res- I can respect that. Um, I can listen to that argument. It's consistent, at least. Yeah. Can I can I give a hot take back to maybe you're more in the Bitcoin community than than me. So if if anyone ends up listening here, I I don't think that that I don't know that which Bitcoiners you're talking to, but I don't think that the state building nuclear is necessarily even logically con- inconsistent with their conception of Bitcoin, because actually there's you know there's in we'll talk about probably the age of, age of electron series as I really tried to dig into like how money has worked in the past like it seems to me a fundamental component of it is as you're using that commodity money for trade, you have the ability to produce more of it in relationship to how you're, you're maybe using it to produce other commodities, right? So if you have a bunch of gold, you can go invest it in creating a bakery. And as trade increases with that currency, the price of that currency goes up. And at a certain point you're saying, I'm going to use gold to go make more gold, right? Because to basically, you know, devalue that currency essentially in relationship to the commodities with which it's being used. But the most central tenant of Bitcoin is there's only 21 million that'll ever be created. And so if you actually take this to like its logical endpoint, Bitcoiners will become like a landed aristocracy where you don't need to invest in the economy Mm. to continue to maintain your wealth, right? Like you don't need to participate if the more it gets used and the more it gets traded, the more the value of that currency goes up, but you can never, you can't create new Bitcoin. Right. And so, and I looked into like how um, power grids work and saying, if you want like this electro dollar paradigm, and we'll, we'll get into all this. Like you want to use power to create new money. You're not actually really doing that with Bitcoin, right? You're just, you're just running, you're running the network. You are creating some, but on this like definite time scale. And so the point being that, I don't know. That doesn't sound that decentralized to me. Like you could see how people in that community are just like, I don't like the current state as it is, but we are going to own the currency and we're going to become kind of the new nobility, new aristocracy through ownership of that currency. And that is not logically inconsistent with building highly centralized, like nuclear grids. Because like Whoa. you're still in control. Yeah. No, that's a hot I, take. I <laughs> kind of love that take. <laughs> because that's I, I jumped right into around. this app. Just no, I know. I was like, I know we're right like into now going into like Bitcoin and feelings. Um, but it's like the thing I struggle most with Bitcoin is this idea of like if you're in early, you like will win. 
bigger than other people, which fundamentally to me, if I were to like create a new global currency is like the opposite of how I would think about creating it. <laughs> Cause I'd be like all these people who like don't know how to learn about this and like can't figure it out. And then like they're left behind. Anyway, I don't want to like go down that road, but that is very interesting. Um, then there's a lot of like other benefits so we could spend a whole episode talking about that, but it is. Yeah, to put it, to put it in uh, the, the Bitcoiner terms, uh, yeah. it's Citadel thinking, James, is like you could have a nuclear reactor in your Citadel. It's just right. that your Citadel right. is very large and it resembles right. a state. It, you know, its membership is is voluntary. That's basically the only difference. But as as the landed gentry, you, you, you in, instead of, yeah, in fact, in the age of the electron, being landed gentry means controlling lots of power and access to it right right, <laughs> like, right. That's yeah because that's that's the most important commodity right but who owns the citadel the the, the bitcoiners the bitcoiners <laughs> oh man um, you know you know look, i am a bitcoiner like... i'm i'm still stacking my stats you know sats like i you know i've been in this since 2016 whatever uh not as early as some but like I, i'm very sort of enthusiastic about the, it as a technology and as a concept and um but I don't, you know, I see stuff like this and I'm like, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is sort of like an original sin and in, involved here that like, well, it's, it's, it's also the original sin that bootstraps the technology. So it's like right. this, it, I know. it's not the ideal wealth distribution and it's not a good tool for achieving wealth distribution, but it's also that incentive uh, to, to have a risk-free rate of return uh, that does not involve lending. Right. Um, but you know, you just grow. If if money plays the same role in the economy over time, then the value of that money slice should grow along at the rate of the economy as a whole, right? That's the incentive that bootstraps the technology in the first place, and without which it wouldn't exist. Yeah. So it's kind of. But I think there's a point that came comes up in your piece too, and that you just brought up here again. It, you know, Bitcoin is so different from commodity other kinds of commodity monies that are tied to a real or commodity because it's its rate of issuance is fixed it, and it's inelastic right called totally inelastic whereas the commodities are all elastic yeah so um you have this you you have this thing where the price of power is unrelated to the price of bitcoin really or you know what i mean like it, 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 the right. dynamic that you're talking about only only with gold uh, we're at some point you're going to spend gold to mine more gold like that, that dynamic fundamentally, uh, you know, pr pr presumes that there's some connection between the commodity money and the commodity. And for right. gold, it's just identity. The commodity right. is the commodity money. Right. Whereas right. for Bitcoin, the underlying commodity is energy, but it, it is in its supply is in no way yeah. related to the supply of energy. No, That's and as I and as I really really dug into writing that article, that was that was what gave me that perspective on Bitcoin. Is that I was like, oh wow, this is really constructed this way. Like, it gave me my first like doubt around like the ultimate success of the project. I think on on a on a broader scale, and in a way that I think um, you know I wouldn't have arrived at had I not been thinking about its relationship to energy, which which is interesting, I guess. Um, but uh yeah i mean i don't know so, sorry i i kind of lost the thread there but i was um i was going to go back to something else you were you were saying earlier i guess 
Um, Wait, can I just ask a really basic question of you guys? Yeah. Uh, this is becoming teach me about Bitcoin. Um, so for those whose interest in Bitcoin is that it, I'm probably going to use wrong words here or whatever, but like it doesn't inflate, right? There's, there's no, there's no money printer go burr. Um, <laughs> it, you know, the, the way in which it achieves that is there's a certain amount of Bitcoin that will ever exist and we're mining them right now. And at some point we're going to, we're going to hit those and, and then that's it. Um, if I were to create another currency, let's call it nitwit coin. And uh, it, there were unlimited nitwit coins, but they could only be minted at a specific defined rate. There's no Fed, you know, pulling on the lever whenever they feel like it. Um, so inflation is still fully understood and baked in, but it's not a finite number of coins. Would that be seen disfavorably by the, the Bitcoin maxi? Um, do, do, the, do you understand the sort of distinction yeah. I'm drawing here? Yeah. yeah. And I think it's very related to what you were just saying. But I need to step back and understand how this all works a little bit. Yeah, it would be viewed disfavorably, but it's 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 an open question why that is. Like, if Satoshi had, so I mean, guess I guess the way it the way it works here is there's a decreasing block subsidy. Right now, we're at six point two five Bitcoin are uh, given to the winning miner roughly every ten minutes. When I was mining in 2011, it was 50 Bitcoin per uh, block. That was in the first epoch. And then it halves every four years. So it cut from 50 to 25 to 12.5 to 6.25. And then in another year and a half, it's going to cut again, 3.125. And the total amount of Bitcoin mining in the world, since it's almost all block subsidy and very little fees, uh, is roughly going to have again in size uh because that's the total amount of Bitcoin being awarded, and that's the total amount of Bitcoin chasing energy. So, I you know expect roughly uh, Bitcoin profitability to to, to have it to have in a, in a year and a half. But anyway, that's the schedule that guarantees that there will only ever be twenty one million coins. That yeah. having schedule, right? That's why there will only be uh, 20, 21 million. That and the and the and the difficulty adjustment that ensures that those blocks come in every ten minutes because because they come in faster the algorithm gets harder and if they come in slower it gets faster so those two together ensure the twenty one million uh, until about twenty one forty and 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 then no new issuance after that Satoshi could have programmed in a different variable there Satoshi could have just programmed in a certain amount of issuance of Bitcoin relative to the to the Oh, this was, well, this is interesting. Just a non-decreasing amount. Yeah. Non-decreasing like, amount. Yeah. That would be a smaller percentage every year because you would have more existing Bitcoin. So, and you, you, know, you, you could, could index it to something, right? So it's well, the, sort of the, reactive no, to no. supply the and demand. Indexing would be impossible because you have you have no inputs for this thing except yeah. the block time, right? And that's key to Bitcoin. You you, okay. you have no Oracle. I know, Colleen, you worked on all, all of these alts. Like, like this is the key to Bitcoin. Yeah. It doesn't look to anything outside itself. Uh, yeah. So, so that oh, one I was saying change. internally, like, couldn't you index oh, okay. it to sort of like something about that measures like its use and importance or trading volume? I, I don't know, but like, yeah, it see, really have to be, be like, yeah, or it just have to be like this amount per year, like forever. 
they could you could change over time. You could have the issuance go up over time. You could have it go down over time but you can't index it to anything outside of the chain itself or it then mm-hmm. that then then all the all the you lose all just, the trust okay, okay. trustless Completely, system yeah. and everything yeah so troy sense. are you saying that um satoshi decided by fiat how many coins there were going to be <laughs> yeah yeah and and you know there are, are there are different reasons uh you know why the 21 million why 50 per block that are kind of interesting like uh you can read off the remaining supply from knowing the block reward like in the epoch we're in there's 6.25 percent of bitcoin remaining so that choice was not arbitrary of 50 i actually went through myself and did the math on like what how many coins would there be if the first block reward was just one and then it went to a half and a quarter and so on. I did that math myself and it was like uh, something like there would be 400 420,000 uh, Bitcoin ever, but you wouldn't have that neat feature. Uh, anyway, I have a look for these kinds of Easter eggs. Every, yeah. in fact, this is a classic yeah. Bitcoin pastime, right? Bitcoin or pastime is like, look through all of the the choices that Satoshi made. It's yeah. kind of like the constants in the in the in the physical laws, you know. Right. Like why why are the why are these constants? No, and I'm I'm just <laughs> I'm just you know I'm having a little fun, but the 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 underlying point is like I I understand why the decisions were made, why they were, and it was you know written in the first block, right? Like this That's was right. post 2008. Like this was right. a response to seeing sort of the insanity of our current central banking institution, which I do like. That's obviously what attracted me to. To Bitcoin is like how debased our currency is becoming, and the the sort of op- opposite of that pole, the equal and opposite force as a reaction was like we're going to create a purely deflationary currency instead of an inflationary one that that incentivizes savers and not spenders. Like that is how you sort of do the opposite of what's being done with our current currency. Um, but it does, and, and can, yeah. Sorry, and can I just give a, a really hot take here? I, uh, I think, uh, first of all, our money as it is uh, d- does not achieve, you know, the goal, Colleen, that you would have of like how should money be distributed in this kind of way that doesn't. Oh yeah, reward, I'm right? not right. It, in fact, it's the Cantillon effect. It's the that's what the right. that's what that first inscription was like on the on the Genesis block. Really, uh, the people closest to the money printer are already getting, uh, they're already getting rent, so to speak, given the way money is actually created and when it comes to redistribution unlike bitcoiners this is the super hot take part for bitcoiners unlike a lot of bitcoiners i don't think states go away i don't think taxation goes away i don't think wealth taxation goes away and a state could very easily tax bitcoin wealth at a rate that is greater than the rate of the bitcoin's appreciation there's nothing stopping from my perspective a state from doing that right yeah. And I mean, we're getting a little out of my depth in like monetary policy. Uh, <laughs> but no, I, I guess to your point, like my thinking is like, if, yeah, if I were like, if that were to be like my goal, and I guess, right, that's not necessarily Bitcoin's goal. But um, if I had a goal and created new currency, that would be my goal. You know, there's that coin, uh, was it called WorldCoin? I was the, just going to uh, say that. Form, right? So like, <laughs> yeah. that's the ultimate really like, yeah, world that's coin. a freaky dystopian like mm-hmm. shit show but 
But, yeah. you know, in terms of distribution, that's that's the ideal. Just airdrop everybody in the world the same amount of currency. And then we use it as an accounting device. But that's our start. You know, that would be amazing. Right. Um, so actually, uh, maybe as a, just to, to tie a, a bow around this, I think, Troy, you would agree with this. And it's sort of what I've thought is just that the the right money to me in in a sense has like a, a a way of producing more of itself in relation to its exchange with other commodities um where in you know the age of the electron uh the energy is the is the electricity really is the is the driving currency there right where not like gold or oil with the the petrodollar or what have you but i don't, i don't know is that like would as all the Bitcoin gets mined, like could transaction fees play that role? Like, do you think it's possible that Bitcoin like continues to evolve within that that context? Because if so, I, you know, I remain excited about it. But in its current state, I just see this wall it's going to slam into eventually, you know, <laughs> like. Um... Yeah, I, it's really not energy money. You know, it, it it looks like energy money at first because you right. spend all this energy mining it. But once you realize like, no, like Henry, Henry Ford had an idea for energy money, right? That would tie the, that would tie the, the, the supply of currency to the supply of the energy. And if you've found a lot of cheap energy, you would debase this, you would debase the currency mm-hmm. and Bitcoin is just, and, and think about it with, with, uh, with electricity as electricity production gets cheaper then we would automatically have uh, we would have an inflating money supply that goes along with like right. the, the cheapness of electricity, right? And I've actually thought about sort of developing that kind of money. You would need oracles, obviously, but uh, you know, a, a kind of fixed exchange rate between the money and the energy. And and Bitcoin is not that, but I still think that it's 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 uh, its influence on the energy world sort of resembles that because as the price of Bitcoin goes up more energy is consumed and bought, right? So there right. is a relation that mirrors it kind of. Uh, but but I, I, I don't really, I don't think for it to play an important role monetarily and to succeed monetarily uh, that we need it to behave like a commodity. It's just new. It's actually new. Nothing has ever existed in the history of the world with an inelastic supply. Right. You know, this is why all economists will tell you like Bitcoin is volatile for that reason. The price of Bitcoin is volatile for that reason because the supply does not adjust to the demand for money. The supply does not adjust to the demand. And that's what right. the, that's what the Fed does actually is try to kind of like, you know, kind of try to match the supply of money to the demand of money. Right. And I think Bitcoin's a beautiful sort of thought experiment, conceptual uh, thought experiment become reality of like, well, what if you didn't? What if you didn't have any elasticity there? And some some Bitcoin thinkers here I really like, uh, including uh, Jeff Booth, who talks about basically technology having this incredible downward pressure on prices across the board. Every Every technological innovation makes things cheaper, or it makes something new that didn't exist before that's also making your life better. And yet, when you see how much technology is progressing, you can certainly see this in the energy space. Um, you ask yourself why why life is more expensive. Like, wh- how is it that you're paying more 
given the technology is at a rate unprecedented in human history, pushing prices down. Well, that's because uh, the money supply has to expand uh, along with that that uh, deflation in order to stop our debt-based system from collapsing. Because if we allow deflation to actually proceed, then income would drop across the board for producers. And when income drops for producers, they would have to cut wages. And wages cutting means that nobody can pay back their debts because their debts are denominated in the money before deflation. And then when nobody pays back their debts, we get... uh, we get contagion that ripples through the whole system. And since the very dollar itself and money since uh, since the Bank of England was founded is based on debt, the entire monetary system would collapse. Right? So that's that's why we can't have deflation. So from, sorry, I've given you the Jeff Booth spiel, but if you step back, you know, yes, it'd be great to have a better distribution of money to begin with. And it sounds pretty bad to have Bitcoiners just kind of growing their wealth at the rate of inflation <laughs> without doing any work. Right. But that system of money is what allows prices to fall for everyone. And it's mm-hmm. what since wages are sticky and that's currently the tool that the Fed uses to keep un- unemployment low. That's part of their twofold mandate. That stickiness goes in the opposite direction when prices fall. And wages remain higher, right? So there is a, I think the picture is more complex. It's an experiment. Right. We'll see where it goes. But I think there are, you know, broadly progressive, there's a broadly progressive perspective on even the wealth distribution angle here, uh, which includes, you know, well, we can always tax. And also deflation is like going to be powerful and bring right. sort of abundance in a way that you know, reveals our current monetary system to be exploitative and un- right, and not and regressive. Like, and regressive. Yeah, um, that's a great. Uh, I think there. You know, we we got really into like the mechanics. Yeah, of I was like, really I need quickly. to think a lot about that, but I think maybe <laughs> let's call that for now. We'll we'll stop. Uh, I I do sorry, Bitcoin I, or rant off. You know, no, right. it's good. It's good. It's, it's a lot to think about. Um, and I think like there's a lot of. I guess so. There's. Right. So I think what you said, though, there, that was like interesting around the tie, maybe tie or, or distinction on, on whether is how much the tie is between energy and Bitcoin in the long run. But in the short run, while Bitcoin is still like being produced um, in the like, whereas while we're still mining Bitcoin until we get to 21 million, um, there is a lot of energy components. So I don't know if we want to like move into the ESG. Yeah. Well, feelings. I was going to. Before we before we jump into that, just like a little segue, maybe bridge there is like, I am curious, Troy, how you think like, I kind of watched you, you know, as I mentioned, like come onto the scene. And if you just like, I don't know, look at something like follower count, like you've been, you know, exploding in the space and and, and talking to, um, you know, going on a lot of big podcasts and all this stuff. And it's clear that like, whatever message you're putting out there is resonating or maybe it's controversial i don't know but do you do you have a sense of like why and i think this will segue well into esg like what is it about what you're out there saying like resonated so rapidly or like why do bitcoiners follow you even though you're kind of saying some some controversial sort of opinions here perspective uh, perhaps um from their perspective yeah well I think where my 
following really exploded was following this first podcast I did with what Bitcoin did. That one uh, blew up and my DMs uh, were just flooded with like literally hundreds of people writing to talk to me. And so the real question is like, why did that happen? <laughs> you know, And it was some something about that. My message on that show was uh, we could use more Bitcoin mining for uh, from the perspective of our energy system and and from the from the perspective of the environment rather than less like we could actually make do with quite a bit more. It's pretty small potatoes. It's not actually big enough to help us affect the transition. Uh, it's not actually big enough to mitigate methane in any significant way. And then I also had an idea for how to uh, how to hold Bitcoin in a carbon neutral way or in a climate positive way that doesn't involve any funky tokens. It doesn't involve any uh, threat to the fungibility of Bitcoin. And yeah, for some reason that resonated that resonated with people, right? That that uh, I think we're just living in the fud, and Bitcoiners had already sort of turtled up like you 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 know you have to you have to realize what it's like to be a bitcoiner uh, since 2011 uh i've been into bitcoin and i should say too i stopped mining in 2011 myself because i did the math on what the power consumption would be at that time if bitcoin equaled the price of gold and it was horrific <laughs> it was it was really bad at, at that at that early era 50 bitcoin per block like it would have consumed tremendous amounts of energy and uh, I stopped mining and gave my miners away. Right? But listening to the critics of Bitcoin over the past twelve years, uh, it's 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 brutal. They constantly misunderstand it. They constantly get all the facts wrong. But there's this incredible, like, morally judgy thing where everyone's telling you you're a terrible person, and you know you're you're you're. It's only useful for crime. Uh, it's uh, it's destroying the environment, right? It, it, it's a certain kind of person. This is just like a Darwinian selection mechanism that even survives you know, any length of time being a Bitcoiner. You have to be, you have to be immune to, to that sort of constant condemnation because you, you live on the margins of like humanity, you know, you're like subhuman for, for participating in this. And so so the Bitcoin community, I think, was already just sort of entrenched on the on the on the ESG narrative, on the environmental narrative. And I came on the scene and was like, actually, you don't you don't have to just be yeah, at yeah. war with yeah. The, yeah. the world because actually we have we have part of the solution. We have part we have part of the solution here. Bitcoin as a as a you know an extremely flexible load and a, a location agnostic and scalable and time agnostic. Um, load could actually be net decarbonizing and uh and here's how you could do it and and so it was kind of like a relief like oh oh right. actually what actually it it's not it's not going to destroy the planet and it's your people already love bitcoin right so <laughs> and to, so to colleen's kind of question that does tie into like i guess in the bitcoin community and just in general, like ESG is sort of the, the, you know, the symbol of, you know, they're going to take our Bitcoins away because it's, it's bad for the climate perspective. And 
but you also mentioned earlier, you know, Shell is sponsoring the Bitcoin conference now. So like, how do you feel in the sort of narrative like world right now? Did you, this is maybe, I, I obviously admire you. I'm not, I'm, this is a, maybe a hard question, but do you think you like handed them a narrative that they could latch onto? That's just like sort of part of that, like fossil fuels are good narrative now, like in opposition to ESG, like, cause there is a danger there, right? Like, I know the way you're saying it is like very nuanced in particular on like looking at how, what renewables are doing in Texas and how Bitcoin plays a role. Um, but that whole, that narrative has morphed into like more energy good. And it, it's fine if it's coal, you know, you know what I mean? Like, uh, yeah, um, there's a, the whole there's fossil like even, future narrative, Alex Epstein stuff, you know? Yeah. It's more than, it's more than fine. Right. It's like, we need to feed the trees. Um, the trees are dying. Carbon's Troy, good. You have to yeah, feed right. them. Coal is good. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> and it, Victoria, is that what people are saying? That, I haven't seen like, that on the internet. People are saying well, that we <laughs> it, it, it exists in Bitcoin. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really, I really can't believe the pearl coal stance and, and it's actually held by some very smart people too. Yeah. It's like, I, I can't get over this. Like this, forget global warming. Just forget that. It, it, it's, um, it's an anti-human health technology, right? This is this kills people. Like, cause this literally kills a lot of people every year around the world. Millions of yeah. people die earlier than they otherwise would have because of coal. Yeah. How can you defend that? Uh, I, 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 it, what, it's what I said earlier. You're sort of conditioned. You find out so many ways in which I'll, I'll use the I'll use the Bitcoiner term like the mainstream or you know, orthodox takes on things are uninformed and wrong you become wide open to all sorts of conspiratorial thinking and you you know what I mean? Uh, alternative takes. And I think you become vulnerable to uh, not just, I, I was going to say greenwashing, but it's not really greenwashing. It's more like just embracing the thing. It's the enemy of my enemy thing again, right? Yes. It's like, yeah. well, if, if they are lying about Bitcoin, then what else are they lying about? And I'm up against this constantly, just kind of a dismissal of science across the board, whether it comes to like whether it's on anything on on public health, whether it's climate change. Yep. Um, it's like, well, they're wrong about Bitcoin, and I'm like, yes, they are wrong about Bitcoin because some of the things people say about Bitcoin are just if you if you understand anything about how Bitcoin works, you have you know well-regarded people or well-regarded uh, sources of information, the New York Times, the Guardian or whatever, will just get things wrong all the time in a fairly fairly fundamental way. Credibility is gone. Am I playing into that? Uh, yeah, probably uh, I am. Well, I actually uh, I, I, I you're think not. it's like... I, I, like, maybe it's just that narrative started taking like stronger hold. You know, I don't think you were like glancing at it even, you know, the fossil future, like that kind of hit the scene at the same time. It did. So maybe the question is more is like why you're more nuanced and in, in my view, like accurate and like ethical perspective. Why is that? I don't know. It does seem like maybe isn't gaining as much ground as like as an Alex Epstein, for example. Like, do you feel like you're kind of losing in the narrative war is maybe a way of 
yeah. of reframing the question, not saying well, like to I, what extent within. Did sorry, and this is a, yeah. this is within the Bitcoin world, right? See, that, right that was what I was going to say, right. Colleen. It's like <laughs> it's like depends on who you're talking to. So I've definitely lost a lot of uh, you know, hardcore uh, maxis, um, but at the same time, there's a movement of progressive Bitcoiners, and I, I was just one of the voices that sort of started that movement. Right. Yeah. And and now there's a lot of people who are progressives in Bitcoin. And um, so, yeah, I, I, I've been, you know, I've been excluded from certain circles of Bitcoin, but welcomed in others. And it's, it's interesting that Epstein thing has really, really taken hold. Uh, it, it fits a lot of. There's like, well, pattern just matching saying, it just, yeah it just fits into a lot of the expectations already. Like already the, the, the institutions that you don't trust as a Bitcoiner are large centralized authoritarian leaning groups who, who want to control what you can do with your money. Those groups are also uh, driven by the, the mission of mit mitigating uh, climate change. And, and so it's just a who, who supports what? Uh, you mean to tell me that Klaus is right about uh, uh, about climate change and it, you know, its importance? It's like, you know, I get backed into those kinds of corners. I mean, look at look at look at the kind of large banks, like all the all of the suspect institutions, basically, are on my side of this thing. So. I'm not, I, it's hard for me to gain trust. But isn't Shell at fucking Davos? I mean, like, what, like, you know what I'm saying? Like, what do you think? Like, what is the most dominant institution of American hegemony? It's literally oil and gas. It's oil. Like, <laughs> like, what is wrong with you? You know, you just become blind to that because like, they say like, oh yeah, we, we're, we're friends with you now. You know, this is something, yeah. Captured opposition. I, this makes it really hard for me to, to hear Bitcoiners often because they'll sort of present, I don't know, Greta as like Greta. this dominant power yeah. and completely ignore the power of oil and gas, right? Yeah. Like this person's making, you know, policy decisions for all of Europe and it's a disaster now, right? And this is what you hear, right? Meanwhile, you know, just zero mention of the enormous influence on all of our lives of oil and gas. It, it, it's like I it I don't know it makes I my think it's brain I do think it's like one of one of those things where humans like love to have people to look at like I think we're really bad at looking at institutions and like understanding their power I mean this is again maybe a little weird because I feel like Bitcoiners do this a lot as they do think about institutional things but it's just so easy to be like Greta's out here and she's like sailing places instead of taking planes and they're going to take our planes away. <laughs> I just uh, got, I just got her book. Um, just to start it. It seems great. I, I really, I'm a huge fan of hers. No, I mean like, and look, <laughs> like, like, you know and what I mean? The, the reality like, is, is that like, she's just someone like, she's like literally a school girl, just right? A, she's just like a school girl activist who like got caught up at like being an easy person for like her influence is, yeah, exists, and that's great. Um, but she's not like pulling the strings at Davos. She's not oh, hell no. deciding what U.S. policy is like, and so it's just <laughs> crazy. I find it. It's, it's just that it's people just... are like, oh, like this person has more influence than Shell, but it's fine for Shell to to sponsor, you know, our Bitcoin conference and to like be at Davos, and like we don't see any issues with that. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's very, as like, individ- as, it, very like self-selection. It feels like self-selection. And I, I recognize that I'm sure there's other things happening there, but this sort of like self-selection bias. of Yeah. It, it, it we're part, we're in a culture war and yeah. what's, what's, which is what we to- talk about. We end up there on our podcast pretty much. Always. Every time. Yeah, it's a, it's like it, 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 how do you the the broader problem that I have in, in, in not just in the Bitcoin community but broadly. I mean, here at Reed, the most well, what's called sometimes the most progressive college in America, right? I'm like in the, in between these two these that. two worlds. Um, <laughs> I I I'm living both sides of the um... <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, Portland. You know, it, it, it's I'm I'm living both sides of the culture war. And it's constant code switching. It's constant, like, how do I reach this person where they're at? Because there's all of these defense mechanisms that get thrown up everywhere. And um, it, it, and so that's just my day-to-day life. That's just constant. You ask what my day-to-day is like, it's really like navigating the culture war that we're in with all the people I, I, I'm involved with who who straddle it. And I've met these brilliant and wonderful people on all, all sides of, of, that, of that war. And once you get behind them, once you get behind those like immediate you know uh like like the shields signs, yeah, yeah. yeah the shields they're they're fearful right they're fearful or or triggered if if you will like uh once you get behind that then it's like you get into really solving a problem or you get to philosophical principles you know they're 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 wonderful and wide open it's just a pro- it's just like a yeah marketing issue a marketing issue this is some of the stuff i liked in your piece uh james about Right. Like, mar- like this was, this is part of my problem. Like ESG is not my term. I don't like that. That word is, that word is just toxic to basically all Bitcoiners yeah. because they associate it with BlackRock. They associate it with sort of scheming Wall Street financialization, hyper financialization of everything, which Bitcoin is appro- opposed to. It's like, you know, tying, tying money to energy is a, is a way of, of definancializing money, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You can't play games with it. And uh, so ESG seems like more game playing. It seems like institution driven. It seems like it's going to be self-serving and potentially it could be linked up with policy in ways that are coercive. So well, what, what's interesting like a, though, is I would say like the, the farther left or like the super environmental people also hate ESG, yeah. also think it's a crock of shit. For a lot of the same reasons, actually. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So I don't know how I came became like the ESG guy. I I don't endorse <laughs> ESG. Yeah, well, and I, like I, well, as a um, what, what always... I do endorse is is like the ability to the ability to invest your conscience, and I I think this is completely bottom up, voluntary, yeah. and. Which is how ESG started before. It's it got, how like, it totally started, turned. right? Yeah. And who's going to argue? Yeah, what's wrong with like that? You believe in something and you invest it. You know, like this would be good. I should invest in it. I mean, I've basically been attacked on stage for saying that, right? Because the the, the the symbolism of ESG is so strong that you hear those words and your mind fills in, yeah, like the rest of your conspiratorial story, and and people can't just hear like, no, I've mom and pop save up. That from their labor, they want to invest, but they don't want to invest in just like an index fund. 
they don't want to own everything. In fact, they don't want to own Shell or whatever. <laughs> yeah. What What's wrong with them not owning Shell because it doesn't align with their values? And who are you to tell them that they should? This is back to like the nuclear thing. Like you're saying you you know yeah. how people should invest, right? Like, does that mean st- like you should never be able to have an investment thesis? Like yeah. because right. like it's crazy. Well, uh, Troy, this is yeah. That's yeah. back to these states that are anti-ESG states, like West Virginia, right? That are like prohibiting uh, ESG. <laughs> this is a wacky overreaction. Yeah, I mean, Troy, like that. What you're getting into is we always talk about like the reality layer and the narrative layer. And yeah. to me, I, I mean, obviously it's real, but like the culture war is just like so fake to me. Like it. Because Duncan asked when we were we were getting like a bunch of arguments around ESG because I was probably yeah, talking it took about us like, like three times before yeah, we record the episode. Us, we were getting... you know, and we're all like on the same <laughs> team here because it's so charged. Like it took us so long to like unpack it. But all he asked is like, who does this serve? Like whenever I encounter a narrative, that's that's what I ask now because like that's what Duncan yeah. sort of asked. And, yeah, and if you look at it like. You know, on on the one side of it, you have like, you know, ESG does to a certain extent, like put a lot of sort of power in the hands of like the big banks and how they want to go out and do things. And it gives them an ability to like greenwash or whatever. And then on the other side, it gives like the um, uh, Bitcoiners or whatever, you know, sort of uh, whatever group of of sort of whatever tribe it is that is anti-ESG like falling in the hands of um, anti-renewable sentiment. But on both those sides is like fossil fuel companes, right? (laughs) Like when you you look at it and so who stands to benefit from the division? It's like, I'm not conspiratorial conspiratorial enough to say that it's like purely constructed or like purely sort of cynically, um, uh, you know, by design, I guess you could say, but these groups are definitely like latching on to whatever is going to further their interests. And so we had that, that twin meme, you know, the Trojan horse meme. One was like anti ESG, just being like a Trojan horse for like anti-technology and anti-incumbency or pro incumbency. Mm -hmm. And then you, you have the same, you know, the same is true on the other side of like um, being pro ESG can also um, uh, you know, limit interest in like in, in new technologies. So I don't know where to, it is extremely hard to navigate that. And it's, it's hard to ask the average person to like navigate that minefield, I think. Yeah. So I'm actually had a hard time doing ourselves. So I'm super curious, Troy, as like someone who spends a lot of time on both sides, talking to all, all sides of the culture wars, like, and we really steered off of this being an energy podcast today, but I love it. Um, <laughs> like, what do you find most effective at getting yeah. people to kind of like realize that what they're like fighting about isn't actually a thing that they're fighting about? To not be tilted, as Duncan yeah. and I call it. Like, when as soon as someone's <laughs> like engaging that defense mechanism, yeah, and they're like no longer thinking for themselves, and their entire being just exists. And in it's just kind of that, like, they don't like that, like, oh, that's a thing that's bad, and that's like associated with this other thing, and so therefore that other thing is bad, and like, I don't know how to have a conversation. The enemy of my enemy th- is my friend thing. Yeah, like have we you just found call a that successful being tilted. Way? I'm, I'm no magician. I, I don't have any secrets. I mean. 
the general kind of psych-based advice that you find out what people's values are and translate whatever you have to say in terms of things they want and need is, of course, that's good advice. And just prioritizing the human over over everything else. This is weird from a philosopher because I live in, you know, ideal land, but we're all people. And at the, at the root of it, we have the same basic drives and needs and connecting to people there first. I mean, I, I mean, I think when it comes to, uh, when it comes to DER, it's like, okay, you like, you like uh, secure security, <laughs> you know, you like independence, you don't like being beholden to, uh, and some Bitcoiners do get this. Some Bitcoiners are actually DER pilled. Yeah. Oh, sure. And, yeah. Um, yeah, for and, sure. And, and for this reason, right. They're like, I like fossil fuel. They'll write me and they'll say, I like fossil fuels, but I think it's cool that you can have solar and then batteries and be, yeah. um, be off the grid. They'll write, they write me DMS like, <laughs> nice. Well, I think nice. it's cool. This setup is cool, but uh, they got to preface it with like, but I like fossil fuel. But I still like fossil right? fuel. <laughs> uh, so, so, so it's like clearly there's a message that works for Bitcoiners. It is the frontiersman thing. Uh, I think it's rooftop solar is like that. Yeah. It's just like we've never talk about when you talk about, you know, Bitcoin as like this fundamentally new thing. It's the same is true of rooftop solar. Like we've never in the history of humanity been able to produce energy as easily and as cheaply anywhere we want as with solar. I mean, this isn't even true of wind. It's like, if you like fossil fuels, like, okay, go dig a well, buy an engine and get an oil <laughs> refinery on, in your, on your property. Like that's what you need to like run your stupid car engine. Right. I Instead mean, of just a lithium ion battery and a solar. And for 25 years, like you're, you're done, like you're good, you know? Um, yeah. The, the, we're back to, we're back to the centralization associated with nuclear. Like right now there's a controversy uh, between I think it's Montana and Oregon. Yeah. Montana's suing Oregon for uh port well, suing Portland. Portland has a limit on the amount of uh gas that can be stored in the city. There's some city ordinance and they're being sued under interstate commerce clause uh because that that limit is too small for for it to tr truly uh, and it'll accommodate the need to ship fossil resources from uh, Montana and Wyoming through to um, through to the ports. Oh, and like export LNG to, or something. To export LNG. Okay. Yeah. And so I was like, don't you guys use mostly hydro over there? <laughs> well, yeah. I mean, our our energy picture is is interesting because, of course, the Columbia River is is dominant, but we don't have a lot of natural gas. And our need for power is growing and that hydro is very limited, right? So the future, looking at these 20 year forwards for power in Portland and Oregon, it's among the highest in the country, even though we're sitting on this amazing river, right? And um, so this, this like infrastructure is important and, 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 you know, economically, and it's, what's interesting is that the fossil bros are going to be like leaning on the interstate commerce clause to force Portland to store more, you know, more gas uh, to accommodate shipping their resource from the, from from a landlocked state to to overseas, and I really want to put it to the Bitcoiners. Like I thought, I mean, I didn't compose this tweet, but I thought about it. Like, 
do you think that the federal government should that, that you should be able to sue another state and force them to take your Into, good yeah engaging you, with certain commerce yeah do you think that should be forced on them or are you know are you a federalist do you think do you, do you think Portland has the right to say to say to say no to that. And it's weird because, of course, yeah, that's just just one of many cases, right, where Fossil requires this incredible uh, centralized uh, infrastructure. And I think that is a winning narrative sort of for for Bitcoin. uh, Bitcoiners going forward is energy independence and also federalism and not just energy independence, but political independence of of states. Yeah, yeah, it's interesting you say that because that's actually I hear that and I'm like with clean energy, right? Not just distributed energy, but there is like generally efficiencies. I mean, again, it's economies of scale versus resilience. So I think DERs can give you both. But I hear that and I hear transmission lines, right? Building transmission lines cross exactly. states is like a huge thing. Um and so I'm now fighting with my own thing being like, that's so annoying, but also like, I'm really pro transmission lines. <laughs> well, well, this is kind of where I have questions for, this is where I have a question for you guys, because you're all more expert in this than I am. So I'm looking at these sort of trends and watching the transmission portion of the mm-hmm. utility bill, just like skyrocket. And also, you know, looking at the, the, the ambitious goals in, in the IRA uh, for, uh, you know, decarbonization and, generation broadly and you know seeing that like transmission looks like the choke point or it looks like the difficulty like what is your take on uh this the transmission scene are are the goals in the ira realistic can we stay on track to actually build out the kind of transmission you know that that we need is that realistic good question transmission is super hard and so i think it depends a lot on how successful we are with those crossing state laws (laughs) like i do think this is a case where like i think distributed energy is really good for a lot of reasons but i'm not i'm not personally against centralization when it matters and i think for transmission it matters um and you will in my mind i'm like a do both like you need transmission to be able to bring energy around but then you also need to be able to be resilient at your community when transmission goes down because it will go down um how effective we will be at that as a nation i think is i'm not as uh i'd like to be more optimistic (laughs) than i am yeah just watching like even transmission trying to be built in new england where all the states agree on things being important and like the difficulty of bringing power to Massachusetts from Canada has been like insane. Yeah. Um, I think it's unlikely that we will be able to rely on that in the short term. Yeah. I feel I I, I'd echo that it's regionally you'll see it happen. Like you saw the Cres lines get built in Texas. That was like all Texas controlled. It was good for the state. You see like offshore wind in New York and kind of how that's working. I think they've built like some clean power lines too. Like it'll happen for sure. Way more than nuclear, but I do the like HVDC, like massive transmission build out um, vision that I hear thrown around a lot. Like, and Hey, I'm, I'm modeling the grid, you know, uh, top down and like, here's how we get more renewables and we build all these big transmission lines. I'm like, it feels like nuclear to me. I'm like, just like, 
great, but like, good luck. <laughs> you know, it's like with the state of our, the relative like weakness of our, our cent- our, our institutions right now, uh, you know, that could actually like find the money and the political will to like make this stuff happen. It's just like, this is, it's not the fifties anymore where we're just like, we're going to build all the highways. You know, it's like, that's not going to happen. Um, yeah, I, I haven't, I haven't looked it. into the IRA in particular, but that that's like kind of my general sense, just like when I, when I see stuff like that. Um, I was going to ask about HPDC too. I mean, I, because that's like a, it's one of those like miraculous, you know, I, I, I'm not, not an insider. I'm not an expert. So what I read is like, well, this is, this is going to, this is going to save the day. You know, this looks incredible. Um, I don't know what it would actually be like to implement it. I feel the same thing about like enhanced geothermal and various other kind of silver bullets. I mean, HVDC is just like better transmission tech basically, but like you still have all the same like hurdles to get over for a transmission project. Right. HVDC isn't a technology issue in the way that like geothermal or nuclear have like technological issues to get through, but it is a very big regulatory issue. So that's like, the bigger part of it so how what how is that why is it why is it hard to do why isn't it easy what makes it well, just, just states... for the same reasons transmission is hard <laughs> okay, it has nothing okay. to do with because you have to go through yeah. states you still have to that are transmitting yeah. that aren't getting the benefit of that power that are just NIMBYism. having to lines through yeah exactly yeah. it's like the classic like it's not helping me why should i do it yeah interstate coordination I do. I mean, it is something we were talking about before the the podcast, uh, Troy. Like your interest in in distributed energy, and um, you know, you had kind of a question on like centralized versus decentralized um, uh, Bitcoin mining, uh, and and how that can express itself on the grid. I think maybe an interesting segue into that, um, and I hope this isn't isn't too self-serving, but I am curious, like your perspective on it, because we've, we've talked a lot about the kind of global ESG banking money side of the equation, but not, you know, in the electron age of electron piece, the whole point was trying to like connect those concepts to like the physical underpinnings and what's like evolving about how we consume energy via renewables. And so maybe as a way into that, just from your perspective as like more of a Bitcoiner looking in, what was the age of Electron? Like what what were like the highlights that came out? What did it mean to you in a way? Because you have mentioned like reading it and enjoying it. And I yeah. really appreciate that. But I am just curious like how you synthesized it because there's like a lot going on there. And then how that connects to like the mining on the grid and, and stuff like that piece of it. Well, it was a strange experience reading it, actually, because there's nothing else like it that I know of. And I was kind of already there. Like, I didn't put things as nicely as you had in my head, but I feel like I was already there. I had already made, um, I first of all, I had already seen that we are moving into um an era that's dominated by electricity in the way that previous eras were dominated by fossil. That's, I think, pretty widely seen now outside of the Bitcoin community. <laughs> beyond beyond Unless you're anti-technology, you know. And, fossil uh... future, yeah. you know. I, it, the fossil future is not the future of the electron, right? It, uh, yeah, and then, and then the fossil future is always paired with nuclear, like Epstein is a big fan of nuclear. So it's kind of like... Uh, 
nuclear is the thing that that uh that does everything that everybody wants in the end it's just going to take us a while and we're going to bridge there with fossil um i think that's the the view and and i mean and to some extent that's right fossil will bridge us even to the age of the electron right because we need we need peakers just by yeah. default <laughs> right. yeah, we don't have yeah. a choice um <laughs> But uh, so I I got that part already. And what's funny is that I came to some of your view really through Bitcoin. Like I I was just nominally interested in energy, but not by any means deep in it. And and it was Bitcoin, of course, that pushed me down it and realizing, oh, you know, that's where I read like the IEA stuff. Like we need to triple, quadruple energy production, like holy shit. And then that way, that means like building out a tremendous amount of infrastructure. When you try to picture that in your mind, when you're just driving along the highway, it's actually kind of like almost dystopian, terrifying to just like, you know what I mean? Just fill the landscape. Here, I sound like a fossil bro, but just like <laughs> fill the landscape with, you know, ways of capturing energy and, and, and high transmission lines like everywhere, high, high voltage transmission lines everywhere. And like that's kind of like just realizing it's a huge epic epic scale of transformation that we need to to make and it's something like bitcoin which has a five billion dollar total annual revenue the mining industry right and is a highly unique flexible load is almost negligible in the context of that scale of 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 trans of transmission right Mm -hmm. so realizing that and then realizing yeah this whatever role that that the the petrodollar played uh bitcoin kind of plays a similar analogous role in that it's an it's energy money but in the new energy in the new kind of energy um with the disanalogies we mentioned uh we we mentioned before but especially the part that i resonated with was you know the trade-off between resilience and and efficiency i saw that immediately uh the the uh the marketing stuff was great too that that uh, because it reflected my experience. Now that it, that is not something I came to on my own. That's something that I was like, yes, I have made those mistakes. As you're revisiting, sort of like, why do people do what they do? Uh, there's a very niche and limited market for people who want to save the world, you know, and uh, who, who want who like it's very niche, it's very limited, and they see it as a sacrifice. And making this switch for 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 renewable energy to it's just better in a lot of ways as us cheaper it's more resilient like that needs to happen in order to achieve mass adoption that mental switch and then the same thing in bitcoin exactly like for bitcoin to uh, achieve adoption it can't be uh the reason i love bitcoin it, it, the, the earlier adopter reasons right i had i taught i taught yeah. at yale in 2000 uh early 2000s my students were going to the banks right and 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 work and working there and then i i sort of when when the financial collapse happened i read deeply on like the the financial system i saw it as like unjust i saw it as sort of absorbing all the best minds and i saw bitcoin as a protest vote against that system that's me that is early adopter territory that is not how bitcoin becomes widely adopted it becomes widely adopted because um you're in Lebanon and you can't get into your bank anymore. People are burning banks right now in Lebanon. You're you're in Turkey. Your currency is worth 25% of what it was a year ago. You're in Nigeria. You, there's a maximum limit of $1,000 you can withdraw from the bank. 
etc. Right, your money just doesn't work because the centralized institutions are letting you down, and you're desperate for an alternative. That's what creates actual adoption. It's just the equivalent of suffering in California during a heat wave. You suddenly don't have power, and there are forest fires, and you need power. You need air conditioning, or you need to keep your stuff cold in the refrigerator. Suddenly, distributed energy starts sounding good, and it has nothing to do with saving the world. I saw, yeah, the, the, the wonderful parallels across, yeah, uh, uh, across those mm. two—the trade-offs and what leads to adoption and what gets people hung up. I don't know. I haven't really answered your question very well. No, I I, what, what's really interesting hard. is you're you're talking about the second, and th- I was really just asking about the fourth, which is like the very Bitcoin one, oh, yeah. heavy, but you were. You go to two and three with in what I hadn't even thought of is the parallels between those two and Bitcoin, which and goes back to like my original interest in Bitcoin, which is like uh and and like how it's married to DERs. It's just this idea of resilience versus efficiency and um, you know, the same kind of philosophical underpinnings where I don't know how like especially Colleen and Duncan would feel about it did make me think, and I certainly don't feel this way. I feel like I'm very optimistic and like we're, we're, you know, we're trying to like build new institutions on the power grid or new build, build new systems of money or whatever. But it, it is the examples you used of like Turkey and California and like when this adoption actually ends up happening is kind of inherently like a bet that our centralized institutions are like not up for the task the next 10, 20, 50 years. Like, they are that's, failing that's us. It. Like that's it. I, I mean, feel Bitcoin, that way. That's right. I do. And that you could call that cynical, right? But like I do think that's that's inherent in, in a lot of this that isn't often sort of discussed or, or brought up, whether it's in the Bitcoin or, or distributed energy community. I mean, I'm I'm yeah. pro I'm pro institution for the for the record. I, <laughs> like I think we should make institutions work well and work for us. I think Bitcoin is a check on the abuse of of monetary authority if you're going to so print money like you like crazy then then you can opt out and into bitcoin and if you're going to censor people really hard in payment then you have a censorship resistant way around it right so it is a bet that way i think of it as insurance more than more than just a bet because yeah. it's like well how much is that worth to me you can each individual consumer can make a trade-off can make a judgment of the trade-off for themselves of the efficiency and ease of use of the dollar. The dollar is awesome. Uh, I think the dollar wins in the, in the fight against Bitcoin, but I think the, the Naira does not, the Lira does not, the peso does not, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Argentina this year, Bitcoin is still worth more in Argentinian pesos this year than a year ago, given the horrible year we've had in Bitcoin. It's still better than the Argentinian peso, right? So yeah. that's where that's where it's like a it's like a bottom feeder. And, and probably the same is true of distributed energy, right? Like where you have the most expensive energy, where you have the most abusive centralized system is where you have the yeah. most incentive. That's, that's a very interesting power. parallel. Yeah. yeah. I've I've it often is. thought of distributed energy as whether whether it takes, you know, 80% market share or 10% market share really isn't that important. It is the it is that check. It is that balance on the system that allows for yeah. there to be a threat, basically, um, so that the other side can't act with impunity. I um, I I'm, come at this from a, such a different perspective. I'm so excited to hear. I've been waiting for Colleen. To <laughs> like, what is? <laughs> uh, no, because okay. So I I don't know. I guess I'm like always really sympathetic to every single industry and group, but um, 
I kind of like with the grid in particular, you know, we made this huge investment in the grid like a hundred years ago and we built technology that lasted like a hundred years, which is kind of unreal when you think about it. And we're basically at this point where we're like, oh, this 80 year old technology is like now breaking. And like, we haven't figured out how to like effectively, like cost effectively fix it. And so in my mind, I'm like, okay, we built it a hundred years ago. And now we're like, if we were going to build it today, how should we build it? And it's different because the technology is different or at least somewhat different still very similar in a lot of ways but um in my mind it just makes sense yeah when thinking about yeah. like from first principles today how you would want to build you know energy you're always trying to you're always like right utility mandates are reliable cost effective now we could argue about how effectively each utility does that some of them do it very poorly but like those are the two trade-offs that you're making right that resilience and that, and that cost effectiveness and we have a better way to provide reliability that, again, as we talked about, comes like a little bit of a trade-off in efficiency and deciding how much you want to trade that off is a decision that will impact costs and reliability. And so I think we just have this like new way to approach building the system and that it's going to need to be replaced because we haven't really replaced it in 100 years. Yeah. Um, and so we're kind of at that point of being like, we can redo this. And I think with, again... With Bitcoin, I do think it came maybe in both senses, like it is coming about because of a failure and of something, right? Whether that is like, um, you know, the Great Recession or like just the age of the grid getting old and not having put in enough money or figuring out like when you needed to replace things. Um, but at the same time, if we'd replaced everything 50 years earlier than we needed to, like that wouldn't have been very cost effective either. So it's just hard to know like when the right time is to build something new. Um, and it's obvious for me with distributed energy now that we're like, we're at that point, we've reached it right. Places like California, like have really reached it and have definitely had some management issues <laughs> over the years. Um, but I think fundamentally it's the right way to do it. And I think what's interesting too, and to your point on like, you know, we've talked a lot about energy in the U S to date, but like how distributed energy can be the backbone for new grids and areas that haven't don't have electricity yet today right we think about electrification like in sort of first principle electrification or they have you know diesel generators that have to be driven out places um it's the obvious way to do it right like why would you build centralized systems that have these super long grid connectors like you can really easily tell if it's like more expensive to build the transmission or to build distributed energy on site um and there, the reliability trade-offs are also different in the short term, at least. Yeah. Um, when you're going from nothing to something like, you know, in the U.S., there there isn't tolerance for being like, if it's a really bad day, like, guess what? You can't watch your TV or something, or like, you can't put on your dryer. Um. Yeah. But I knew. Do you think that was, will change? Do you think there's any hope of that? In changing? the U.S., that's not going to change. No. 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 Um. I mean, like, look, if you if you could really offer people like the amount of money that mm-hmm. if you're like, I will pay you $2,000 to run mm-hmm. your dryer tomorrow. Like, sure. Like maybe someone will take that. Um, you know, if you look at like Texas, like there probably was a decent amount of money to be able to do that and turn people off. Um, given the like billions and billions it cost everyone, but we don't have markets set up fundamentally for that. And when, and even the places that do offer those rewards, it's more like 50 cents or like $5. And, I don't, I don't I think, know. I think people will adapt. 
I don't think it's like, can we offer them enough money? I think it'll be like, energy's dirt cheap for half the day and expensive for half the day. Your behavior will change. Like, I don't think it's like a, yeah. it's like a, like, oh my God, what program are we going to come up with? People will just react. Like, I just go straight to the, like the product angle. It's not like, do you, it's just like, when do you need your laundry done by 7 PM? Like then there's like some minor optimization. We'll make it happen. That. You know, yeah. <laughs> like it's not, yeah. you know, um, but yeah, I don't know. People I, will just invent like more efficient laundry yeah. machines and it won't even matter. Cause it'll be like so minimal. Yeah. I do think your, what your you're... laundry machine will be a miner. Actually, there are <laughs> there are minor there are Bitcoin miners who are using waste heat, their waste yeah. heat to dry their laundry. I do no think way. that whole that whole concept is interesting. That like compute is very interesting because you you put energy into a box, you get valuable outputs digitally from it, but then all the energy comes back out as heat. It's almost like getting something for free thermodynamically. It's pretty, and maybe you don't actually get all of it back, but you get like 99% of it back. Um, it's very interesting. And we've never really exploited that yet. But I, it seems is, like we must at some point um, because mean, it, it's is, almost a free lunch. This has kind of been blowing me away lately. Uh, I think I've been looking at more and more the heat um, offtake from, from Bitcoin mining. You know, as you say, is it 100%? Uh, well, it's really close. There's some energy that's lost in the sound, like from yeah, like fans. weird physics. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But like, sound is ultimately going to convert into heat anyway. You know, the sound waves hit the wall and move molecules there. It's all going to heat. In a way, you step back and think about it. Really, it's like it's that's what the heat death yeah. of the universe is. It's everything being converted into. Heat. I love the philosopher angle here. Like, it's like oh, it's I don't think I realized so much of compute is turned into heat. I'll, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Well, where else does it go? So, if you think about where energy normally goes no, in the I mean, process, it, right? It, it's going to go into acceleration. It's going to accelerate a body. It goes into kinetic energy, but then that that energy continues as motion, and then can be converted into another form of energy. Yeah, right? it all goes to heat. Every- but then that's but right. it's, you're going to have friction losses in each one of those things. But now think about what what's moving inside a computer. So nothing's moving. So where else is the energy? Like nothing's yeah, moving no, in a computer. Yeah, no, it makes sense. So I, just, going, I guess right? I hadn't really thought about it. Yeah, it's all sense. going to heat. So it's a pure resistance heater. It's a it, it, it's not obviously it's for heating purposes. It's not a heat pump, and it'll never compete with a heat pump. You'll as, never as get. A, We'll never get anywhere close to that. But I am talking to, I was saying this to James before the show, I am talking to these geothermalists who I'm going to try to interview it, but I can't get them to come on on a thing with me and do an interview yet. But I I think I've found someone who has enough distance from the institutions who don't want this to be known that I I can interview them. But uh, we, you all probably know this. I did not realize how efficient it was to store heat underground. Um, like seasonally. This, this actually still boggles my mind. I don't understand. I know it's I, true, but I can't wrap my I can't, head around it. I can't get it. But we're talking about like district heating with geothermal energy, heat, just heat that's stored. It's not converted back into electricity. It's not that hot. It's not hot enough to, you know, boil and 
then uh, you can do that as well, but that's a less efficient system. Uh, right now, there are there are geothermal systems that store heat and use uh, air source heat pumps to push the heat in, you know, underground in the summer and then pull it back up, up in the winter. But yeah. you could easily replace those air source heat pumps uh, with, with a uh, bunch of waste heat. Yeah, a bunch of waste heat from compute, right? Interesting. And uh, that the, the 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 I can't remember the round trip efficiency exactly. I don't know. I'm going to get it wrong, but it's a shockingly high. And geothermal to me, I don't know about you guys. I'm getting geothermal pilled. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, because when you realize where the peaks are coming from in summer and winter, it's cooling and heating. Right? It's not only is it yeah. a huge percentage sure. of our energy use, but it's 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 like where where the peaks are coming from. So imagine the infrastructure savings if you could chop off those peaks from uh, HVAC. Right, it would just be enormous. Uh, and geothermal has the potential to do that. It's a big upfront cost. Again, it's like a centralization thing, right? Who bears that cost? How can it be done? Oh, uh, you, that's a, you mean uh, super like, complicated, like networked geothermal? I mean for. Uh, for the right setting, it has to be networked, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. But we have an industry that's already good at building underground pipes that transfer energy, and they need something to do. <laughs> no, I, Interesting. I, I know uh, the, a guy who's like very heavy into, and I think it. he says it exists in some like Northern European countries, is just like, we have all this natural gas infrastructure, but it can easily just as easily be like hot water loops and having like yes. water driven exactly or just like heat driven, you know, distribution infrastructure instead of yeah. instead there are of few, like I mean utilities are are making a play for this already. They're trying yeah. to do networked well, geothermal basically. Well they're the natural they're the natural payers for this because they're the ones saving on the build out when we chop off the peaks. So that that I mean, no no one's going to be able to pay for it because it's going to be ridiculously expensive. But they, they'd be the most natural, uh, the the most natural candidate. But think about that infrastructure if if it's stable, and you have the the ability to very very cheaply and for almost no energy, you know, heat and cool. Uh, yeah, like that's a wildly different energy system as a whole that 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 we're that we're looking at. And yeah, we could use compute. In, in concert with a system like that yeah both for cooling and and uh for cooling the the compute and also for sending heat to the uh you know into the ground i feel like this is a an interesting full circle moment you know we're coming back to your your dad system actually an early dirt pill moment for me was like cogen like that was what i was mainly focused on originally just like yeah if you're making power and getting low grade low grade heat you know, it's, it's like the most efficient use of like all the energy that you're, you're creating. I wonder how the, like the actual economics would work out on like a distributed basis, but one sort of, sort of, I don't know, interesting moment for me recently is we're like pricing up our solar buyback con contracts in, in, in Texas right now, like for, for our business. And, um, those systems are just exposed to wholesale prices. Right. So like, there's no real like in a non net metering world average like 
customers are not going to get a lot from their rooftop solar systems. You're looking at like average three, four cent prices, like in an average year. And if you don't have a battery or you don't, I don't know, maybe you could have a mini Bitcoin miner at home. Like it does make sense that how are you going to utilize that, that very cheap power? Um, but it, I don't know. It's just interesting to me that rooftop solar is like seen as, as expensive. And you were kind of asking this, this question before the show is like, are there cheap pockets of energy everywhere? And like, at the end of the day, rooftop solar is like going to become increasingly an extremely cheap source of power where it's primary use, maybe like backup and resilience and stuff like that and self-sufficiency. Um, but what are you going to do with that? Like extremely cheap power when, when in like non net metering regimes, I don't know. It's just something I was recently thinking about. Maybe there's like a, yeah, no, mix I mix of I, I was very yeah. bearish on Bitcoin mining at home. I was like, why would that to make well, actually, sense? Well, actually, because I like, do can it I centralized, ask, you know? <laughs> well, I was gonna say that actually makes me so you were asking Troy, right? Like how how we feel about like that tension on the efficiency of, of scale. And I guess my question to that is like and maybe this is like a, a fundamental Bitcoin question around mining and like can small mines ever like win and <laughs> in, in, in being the one that like gets the Bitcoin and like solving the problem. Like I, I, I wonder fundamentally, like if you, as a decentralized system, like if having the most compute power is like, what's going to get you the most Bitcoin. Your, your chance of winning is directly proportional to, to your amount your of compute, right? Amount of compute. So it, it scales, mm. it scales down. You can have one machine, and well, the way we the way we do it is you can you can solo mine, yeah. uh, uh, but I even in 2011 I already I had joined a pool. You know, you pool your compute, and then you mm. split the winnings because your payouts. Okay, are more so you even. could so you could pool your compute from distributed location. Yes, that's already and still do it. Okay, that's okay. what everybody does. Great. All like, right. Like I think Marathon uh, has their own uh, pool. I mean, it's just them. They solo mine basically. Uh, that marathon digital and i think uh you know foundry has the biggest pool in bitcoin and they're also a bitcoin miner so there are some there's some miners that are big enough that they would solo mine but pretty much everybody pools their compute with other people and then splits yeah i i guess i knew that people pooled their compute but i guess in my head which doesn't really make sense now that i'm thinking about it um those like that pooling was like a physical location somewhere, right? Mm. Like people were going in on things versus it being distributed. So like, I guess, okay. So now great. And the transaction costs learning. there are, are like low enough that if you have a very, very cheap source of power as an individual, like you could yes. potentially like, it makes sense. And the, I imagine the other question too would be on CapEx, right? Like one, if by virtue of being small and distributed, you can access cheap power, such as otherwise almost worthless rooftop solar exports. That's interesting. The other interesting thing, I guess, would be in that situation, like, can you utilize existing compute resources by virtue of being small, right? Like, do you have to build a mini data center in your basement? Or like, can your PC do the mining with your ultra low cost rooftop solar that otherwise would be uh uh, like you get a cent for or something like, obviously it's not an efficient miner. It's not a high productivity miner. Um, but if the CapEx is zero and the energy is nearly free, you put a billion of them together. Right. This is, this is sort of an evolving area. I think right now, uh, 
right now, the advances in ASIC chips over GPUs, which is what I was using, and CPUs, which is what I started with. I started mining on my MacBook Air, you know, uh, are so dramatic because of the architecture of those chips that it just doesn't make any sense, even really at any power price, even if it's even if it's free, it's just gonna like it doesn't make Wait, sense so to have, have, have your if, C, CPU on. If power's uh, free and capex is zero, why doesn't it make sense? <laughs> well, I, I guess I'm just thinking you, 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 your computer's going to be humming when other. I mean, if you don't mind that 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 noise, I guess you can run it, but. I think the return is going to be so negligible that yeah. it, it, like it just won't matter because that's it's a how, compete. It's a competition system. It's right? a comp- that's the competition. Issue. You have to think about how fast the ASICs are, how many CPUs are equivalent to like one ASIC. That's the number sure. you need. Yeah, Once you yeah. get to like, if it's like, you know, 80,000 yeah. to one, you're going to say, well, what's the point? Right. right? Yeah. But, but, but to your point, there are newer designs for ASIC in, ASIC embedding machines that are, you know, lighter weight than right now the ones that are built for data centers. Mm. And ultimately we might have them like mounted to the, we might have them mounted to the solar panel themselves, right? Or yeah. just right there. So here, here's something I didn't, you all know this. I didn't know this until fairly recently, just that we have all this DC clipped power, like that inverters are not yeah, scaled. Yeah. I mean, once you think yeah. about it, it's totally obvious that you would not build inverters for your for your peak production on a, on a generating yeah. facility, like that would be an utter waste. But then the parallel thought that goes with that is all this electricity that never makes it into AC at all. Yeah. But also miners also convert, you know, that DC, that AC back into DC. So there's, it, there's some future where we keep it in DC yeah. and we, re, you know, regulate and buffer it or whatever. I don't know. I'm not an electrical engineer. I think as but the home you, gets electrified, it does, it does make sense. And you have like solar and everything that, you know, our the home OS may be DC coupled. Wait, so there's just um, like right. mad, which is true in the off grid world, by really? the way. Like most off grid systems are designed DC. DC coupled, and they sell DC DC appliances because, like, when you're not connected to the grid, that's that's what makes sense. But but capex um, is the right question, and the, the here's the kind of interesting thing is what during this run up in price, Bitcoin was three thousand dollars, it went up to sixty nine thousand dollars a coin, and that meant that. The ASIC supply chain couldn't keep up, not even close. That meant, uh, so some of the money uh, in mining went into energy. A lot of it went into ASIC prices, just bidding up ASICs. And ASICs went up to you know $15,000 or more for a late new gen machine. Now they're somewhere around 2000 something like that, somewhere between 2000 and 2500 So look, look at that, uh, fallen ASIC price is dramatic. Uh, in order for the kind of mining that I want to happen, uh, I see happening, some miners call it the the Nakamoto point, where where basically you can't make you can't make any money on grid energy. That the break evens are so low that no one no one is mining, no one is paying for electricity to mine because that would just be uh, right yeah, spending yeah. more than a bitcoin to make to mine a bitcoin. In order for mining to reach that point, capex has to be low. Because right now, CapEx, your miner depreciates and you have to have a certain amount of uptime in order to, you know, repay your your upfront cost for the miner. Right. And so this collapse in ASIC prices has been very, like, very helpful in in getting us to more downtime. Look at something like Riot, uh, largest mining company, I think, publicly traded miner in Texas, 
uh, three months ago, they had 50% uptime. They were literally off half the time. Uh, that is a really interesting and different load. Yeah. And the next next couple of months, they were off maybe, you know, they were up maybe 70 to 80% of the time. But once we get to a point where, where the chips are really cheap, they're mounted like they're where the power yeah. is being stranded and they don't need very much uptime. You don't need much uptime mm-hmm. at all. Then, then we're yeah. back to your point. We're back to your point, except it's not CP, it's not CPUs, but it's these like super cheap chips yeah. that do distributed compute all over the place. But even as chips stop getting like Moore's law breaks down, right? Well, yeah. it will eventually like, there's no like, Oh, I need to buy new my, I need to get my uptime in the next 18 months until these are out of, out of, uh, out of date. Um, but what, what's interesting, it's, it's already, there, bra- it's already breaking down. Yeah. You know, we're already seeing that. Right. I hadn't made this connection before, but one of the stats that just continues to blow my mind is in Cal in Australia, rooftop solar is about $1,200 a kilowatt and utility scale is about $1,100 a kilowatt in California. It's about $4,500 a kilowatt for rooftop solar. And $1,100 for utility scale because it's strictly red tape. So when you also think about solar as a technology, there aren't major economies of scale that make, it is a truly distributed technology. One panel on your roof is just as efficient as a panel in a massive utility scale array, which is not true of like, we built big coal and big nuclear because these are, as to your point, inherently centralized technologies. You need the thermodynamic scale to get the the efficiency there, that's also true in com- computing, or maybe it's increasingly true becoming true. Yeah, in ASICs, like you don't build like a much much bigger ASIC. It's just like a million tiny ones lined up, and so your actual economies of scale are not. They're like maybe cheaper debt, like maybe access to cheaper interconnection, like on the power grid. But it, it's like you know, rack space. It, rack space gets cheaper with scale. Right. And like, then here's the, yeah, here's but it's not, other... it's not like a technol technological no. or thermodynamic efficiency of scale, which is very, very new very compared different. to what we're doing. And when the last piece is pooling mining, you also have the internet, which is like the, the great levelizing force. Right. So you can pool miners the transaction cost of like connecting over the web is, is very, very cheap as well. Um, yeah, exactly. It, it's, uh, it's 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 it doesn't it scales practically, but it doesn't scale in it doesn't have uh, economies of scale in principle, right? right. And that's a huge mm-hmm. huge difference because in principle you could uh, you could solve with design elements, you know, some of some of those of those gains. Now here's where it gets tricky because a lot of the alternative revenue streams that I see coming from miners is not from selling their waste heat, but it's also it's not just that it's also Selling of waste heat, I think, also is scale limiting because the need for waste heat is pretty it's... limited most places. And that that puts a nice like cap on the size of an installation. Mm. Uh, but another uh, another source of revenue is, is ancillary services and, you know, participation in demand response. And so the, like Riot's 50 month of 50 percent downtime, they also had a hedge against power prices that mm. month and they made more on that hedge right, than right. they did on bitcoin mining in that yeah. month right essentially they're doing like arbitrage they're, they're yeah. an arbitrager market maker rather than like you know a bitcoin miner in some ways but the question is does that scale down 
those sort of sophisticated, the sophisticated ways in which they, uh, you know, in- engage and manipulate, win in the the energy markets, that. That, that's not available yeah. to an ordinary. Um, well, no, and like, I know this is, this is kind of like your in, business. No, like, I was like, that's yeah, principle. that's why you look at David Energy. <laughs> yeah, we're doing it for your little Powerwall, or, or going to be soon, like for a for a battery. Um, there's, an, you know, obviously we only have a few engineers on the team now, but into the future could connect to any IoT device, right? And that's the marginal cost of doing that is, is zero. So, could be a little GPU. It could be just already in the inverter to your point or something of the, of the solar that you're, that you're building. Um, so there's nothing that that's obviously our whole vision of the future is like, as the grid becomes more distributed, instead of being right blockchain and buying a hedge from some big trade desk that you're connected to, it's actually like David energy is the central clearinghouse for any like distributed power plant. Um, so they, they would have that access as well, I guess, is the, is the point in the future. Right. I think that's the missing uh, piece is like it. Well, it's, it's, that's one. And there's one more, which is um, uh, it's it's hedging strategies for them, too. And I guess this doesn't apply to the individual as much as, you know, it's at that scale. You don't need to hedge. But what happened during this latest bull run in Bitcoin is that uh, Bitcoin miners became a proxy for Bitcoin itself. Wall Street didn't have a way to to plot pl- right. into Bitcoin. So they bought like Marathon and Riot and, and, and these other these other large right. mining firms. And that led those mining firms to behave um, uh, differently mm-hmm. than they would if they were right. just operators. And so they held their Bitcoin for one. They also borrowed as much as they could and they built out as much infrastructure as they could, like throwing caution to the wind because their investors wanted Bitcoin exposure, right? And, and so... Uh, now I think we're in this shift which hit the power industry w- during re- deregulation, where power producers shift from being you know, associated with the commodity they produce to being to being operators and decoupled from the value of that commodity because they're hedged mm-hmm. eight ways from Sunday, right? Yeah. And they 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 gain they make their they're about efficiency of operation and mm-hmm. and, and and reliability, right? right? And right. Bitcoin miners are now going through the same transition where the miners themselves are hedging now we have a hash rate derivative mm-hmm. um you know we, we they're not they're not holding their bitcoin they're selling their hash rate uh a, a ahead of time or they're dumping their bitcoin as they get it and they're also hedging against power prices they want to be hedged against power prices as well because that obviously blew up a lot of companies that's that created bankruptcies across the industry so we have we have as i see it like the the underlying dynamics of just where does Bitcoin mining go? It goes to cheap power, number one. Um, And so if cheap power is distributed in time and space, it will just go there and fill up all of those, fill up all of those little divots in time and space, wherever they are, where the power is the cheapest. And then it also goes, but, but, but it, it also goes where you can uh, collect the maximum of, of alternative revenue streams, whether that's, ancillary services, right. participation, demand response, selling your waste heat or, or, or mitigating methane. We haven't talked about this one, but getting carbon credits for mining on vented methane, which some of the companies I'm advising are, are doing. Right. And, and then it's like this, this other angle, which I'm not in any way familiar with as just, you know, a philosopher, but these advanced hedging strategies, which, which can be costly to maintain as those hedges get marked to market, you know, yeah. and, or, and yeah. like the small scale operations cannot 
cannot do that. Whereas utilities are very well, or 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 generators are very well positioned to do that. Yeah. since they kind of do that already. Well, you could. I mean, we we do power hedging for for homes. You know, it's like no. you, 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 you <laughs> really? pool it. It basically, yeah. Oh, that's mean, so cool. It's just like, it's, yeah, you offer them a fixed price. You wear the risk, and then you you but you hedge like the two hundred homes you signed up that week. You know, it's there's ways to that's that's the function of a retailer is selling the insurance to um to these um uh you know to 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 small homes and businesses and stuff but uh you know i i imagine there's some conversion convergence of the those hash power derivatives and and how power is traded because they're they're so tightly coupled to uh as as we've we've gone into but i i think we're we're coming up on 2 hours here um <laughs> it's sorry guys. i don't know if our audience is oh no, no we, we're i love it i, I we're mean, always we're always I, long um, I, I, <laughs> yeah i'm excited to see how you know uh the the dr task force crew uh tunes into to two hours of, of bitcoin but um <laughs> I, I know kyle barranco will probably so that's we we got we, we got that going. Hi, we have one listener <laughs> yeah you're here still we know it um but uh but yeah, we, we, we have just like a fun closing section usually, um, to kind of wrap things up. One thing I'm interested in hearing from you is your energies are of America for, for the day. So there's no local rules. There's no federal rule, just whatever you want to do one policy, you can enforce it. What, what would it be? policy so i don't have a budget i just i just have a policy yeah, it could be anything you could be like i i plop down a you know an hvdc network but you know whatever it is oh man yeah i don't know that i have have the the requisite expertise to answer this question this i want to hear your answers to this i have no <laughs> idea i have no idea what our what our real sticking point is that needs to be you know uh that needs to be fixed uh you know i uh I, I, you know, I, 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 I'd love to see, here's what I'd love to see is, uh, you, you know, so, something like, uh, something like nodal pricing, which they have an ERCOT. I think that sets up beautifully for mm. the kind of role that Bitcoin can play on a grid. Um, if you could institute something like nodal pricing and, uh, that sort of market that they're developing in ERCOT, I think loads like bitcoin would bring a tremendous amount of efficiency if i could wave a wand and do that so, i would so i think what i think what you're what you're saying is um energy only markets which is so because yes. there is nodal pricing other places but there there's usually this like capacity anyway we don't need to go into like the whole yeah, energy yeah. thing but right. basically exposing people to the real prices in their pockets in real time Yes. Because that is in Texas is where we see this like renewable Bitcoin convergence and it's largely a function of the energy only market structure. And so you're saying bring that to yeah, the the rest well, of the nation. James loves that. So and, <laughs> and implied in that is smash the remaining vertically integrated monopoly utilities. <laughs> like you can't Good. bring it's a spicy one. Energy markets to the southeast without some big yeah. Big stuff. <laughs> yeah. Hey, again, I'll endorse it because you, I don't see a, renewables seem to struggle in capacity markets and vertically integrated <laughs> utilities. So they, it's going well in Texas. So yeah, we should do that elsewhere. <laughs> I think that's a good answer. I, I yeah, like that. I like that. Yeah. Cool. That's All a right, hard so question. 
question. That's a super hard question. I'm going to be beating myself up for hours thinking about what I should. <laughs> well, we'll, we'll have you back there. on in you know six months, and we'll see we'll see how uh, you know if if your answers changed. Um. All right, Duncan. Duncan's favorite uh, section. Do you want you want to jump into this one, Duncan? Sure. Yeah. So Troy, this is dope or nope. We're going to just rattle off various subjects or topics or things. Okay. And. You just tell us if they're they're cool or not, dope or nope, um, or if you're supportive of them or not. And you could give a sentence if you want, like. But you also don't it. have to. Or you we just can have just really just strong right feelings. Just you don't need to justify it. It's up to you. Okay. So, so big lightning round, lightning round answers. Yeah, yeah, let's do it. Dope, dope or nope, Davos. Nope. What about awesome. Dervos? <laughs> <laughs> Dope. <laughs> <laughs> okay, dope or no fossil future? Nope. Coins other than Bitcoin? Nope. Any? Like Ethereum? I'm curious. Like any? Dogecoin? All shit coins. I am open to blockchain technology serving other useful functions, uh, unlike a lot of maxis, but I'm extremely skeptical that any of them right now do serve those functions and that's yeah. not a price prediction that's sort of a just a normative judgment yeah price wise anything could happen i make no predictions sure sure yeah okay um shell sponsoring bitcoin miami oh nope <laughs> esg oh <laughs> i i would it's say a tough one it's going to be misleading whatever i say um nope to it as it actually is dope if it means people investing their values you're not tilted that's that's the test of being tilted and you <laughs> passed with flying colors that's where we've landed i think as well <laughs> okay uh old school nuclear power think big centralized nukes i mean still dope sorry <laughs> nice i get yeah, it i get it like, yeah. may not happen a lot but yeah it's just dope <laughs> Um, next okay. Some of these are a little esoteric. Uh, next gen nuclear power, so like I mean, small modular stuff. I mean, Uber dope, yeah, Uber dope, yeah, okay. Um, I feel like James, I feel like some of these might not be, yeah, these I are like energy nerd questions, <laughs> yeah. yeah we're, I'm, like... I'm removing some, yeah, yeah. I think we might be done to be honest. Do you guys have any? I mean, I wrote a lot of those. Did you have any for Troy? Bitcoin, Bitcoin monasteries. <laughs> oh, dope. <laughs> well, yeah, I, I, mean, I just cut out coffee and and and, and ca- coffee and alcohol. I'm 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 down with the monastery. Yeah. What We're about Bitcoin cit- citadels? D- uh, nope. <laughs> I don't like the. Uh, I don't like the. This this actually really does bother me. It goes back to something you said earlier, Colleen. Um, I don't like the idea that we live in some kind of Mad Max scenario where people inhabit their citadels and there's no like, you know, there's no state, there's no uh, obligation to other people outside of your little tribe. Yeah, and it's kind of a 
Marshall, right? I just that that's a d- disturbing image to me of apoco- a post-apocalyptic vision that I I do not share, and I don't like the idea that Bitcoin is wedded to it. I think it's a good place to stop. All right, wait. There's one more because we didn't talk about it. Oh, okay. And en- en- you alluded to it: energy abundance. Oh, dope. What? Why, so not why would not anybody say no? Nope? But it there's a weird co-op. Well, you know, it's a new like clean energy abundance is like this emerging like rallying cry. Yeah, it's like the, the opposite of like crowd is like just efficiency. energy. Yeah, right. Right. It's like the like some people are like we should be conserving less. I as someone who likes like it's the sort of classic like why you shouldn't use Bitcoin because it's like adding energy and like again I, value judgment. Going to put a value judgment in here, but generally are against that think it's not adding value right this idea that we should be like thinking about how much we grow versus clean energy abundance is like we can grow how we need to grow and like clean energy abundance is the answer i guess here's the way i think about it i think um i i also believe in conservation and i mean i already told you guys i ride my bike everywhere in portland right that's that's partly for fun but it's also just i like living in an efficient and lightweight way yeah um and uh and in in conservation efficiency just feels good. There's this OCD part of me that just is like is driven nuts by the fact that we live in a world full of inefficiency that could easily be fixed. Like I can't handle that at some OCD level. Yeah. So I, I like efficiency. I like conservation. I guess I think when it comes to power, uh, in particular, electricity in particular, I think that this moray gets twist twisted. Right. Like the the way. The way we think of it is like, don't waste resources, don't waste precious resources, waste not, want not. I think it's some throwback to Puritanism. We have to ditch that way of thinking entirely for electricity. Electricity yeah. is abundant in some places and at some times and scarce at others and in other times. And the, the really updated version of the moray is something like, don't waste resources where those resources are precious and when they're precious. And And the flip side of that is actually... Use as much as you can of the energy where it is currently overly abundant and yes. nobody is using it at those times and at those places. That's my motto. It's a big mouthful of a motto. Yeah. But that one, I feel like, gets everything that you wanted to get with the don't waste. Yeah. And yet it also reflects the complex reality of you know paying for power uh, where it is currently not being paid for. We, and, we needed and, the... But in, Sorry. No, we, and then we, I think we need also, you know, Bitcoin does that. <laughs> yeah, get that in there. No, I I, we needed the, the philosopher to square. There's like something we were trying to wrestle with last time. And maybe just a corollary here is we're like, how do you be pro clean energy abundance, but also view like, you know, the American obsession with like consuming more and more and right. like, it's and like having not, massive it's trucks. Not consumerism. Like, it's... Yeah. Like abundance to me is not about like, Oh, we can just use whatever we want whenever. Cause it's like, it's like spiritually dead to me to like always want more, you know, it's like just using, oh, what, what did we say? It was like using no more than yeah. what you need or something. Yeah. Was, you know, I was, was like, the, yeah. The, like, we had a really pity thing we came to, I, but I mean, I, well, I, it's I, like, it's like the logom, like this or Spanish logom philosophy, right? Just like use every, well, now this is a country song line. <laughs> got everything i need and nothing that i don't it's like 
That's yeah. Sort of, yeah. I, I think that yeah, control, that's like you know, a, some country song. I mean, this really is a sort of deep philosophical and spiritual truth is that we, we, we exist on this hedonic treadmill and consumption in our world is the way that we just run faster and the treadmill just keeps going faster. And, and weirdly, I do think that Bitcoin and its deflationary character uh, helps with this. Um, I think that some of why we, we are engaged in this overconsumption is because our money is constantly worth less. Mm -hmm. And so we either malinvest with that money or we overconsume with that money because we don't have a low risk future of saving. Right. And so I feel like some of the hedonic treadmill is main, some of it's just in our nature and we're not going to get away with it. Money, money's not going to solve it. It's goes way deeper than that. It's, it's, you know, it's, it's human nature. But, but some of it is artificial and foisted on us by a manipulated money supply. Yeah. And I think the impact environmentally of fixing the, you know, sort of goosing consumption constantly by through the money printer, basically making the, the money in your pocket melt away unless you do uh, and giving us a sense of living for the moment rather than building for the future. And I mean, ultimately, environmentalism is about time preference. It's ultimately about thinking about generations from now and what we leave to them. And, and that, that sense of the future belonging to us has been distorted by funny money. Yeah. And uh, uh, whatever your audience thinks, I mean, at least Bitcoiners contend that, that thinking in a Bitcoin frame, you know, it, 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 uh, it decreases your time preference for the present over the future and better aligns you to fix money supply aligns you with a fixed uh, you know, a fixed You're, world. You view in. that as like inherent, inherent, inherently like environmentalist in a way as well. Yes. Yeah. So um, you're you're telling me that the Bitcoin future means it's less likely I'm going to have a mansion and a giant truck. <laughs> you, uh, I think you're. Yeah, yeah. I mean, let's put it on a time frame. Your mansion and giant truck. Uh, which are financed with funny debt yeah yeah that's right i mean that's right all of housing prices on a in a fine bitcoin future housing collapses because housing is fueled by by cheap debt it's already collapsing as interest rates are going up right but how much more would it collapse if you had the you know the, the bitcoin alternative loans are going to be expensive there's going to be less debt in the system so everything's going to get cheaper but you won't have the cash to buy it so your mansion will cost cost less, but you also won't be able to take out a 30-year mortgage at, you know, 4%, yeah. whatever. Sell your future away for it, essentially. Yeah, that's right. Less borrowing from the future to spend in the present. That's kind of what debt is. Yeah, and sure. All right. So abundance is not consumption. Uh, the, you, you framed it well. Yep. I like exactly. it. Exactly. Abundance right. is is not consumption. Let's move into well, the final big shouts. Um, so this is just, we just give big shouts to people that we think are great. Big um, shouts to Satoshi, you know, <laughs> big shouts to Luke Grauman and Lynn Alden, who I know we were reading, you know, at, at, at the time. Right. Troy, I'd say, I mean, big shouts to you, man. You, you, you started this podcast sort of professing you're not an energy expert, but I would say you've done an awesome job. Uh, reading up on this stuff and being able to speak proficiently in in all the language, 
um, I, and, and coming at it really earnestly. Um, yeah. So, so big shots to you, man. This has been cool. Thank you. Think- and, and, and to any of your listeners is just to follow that up really quickly. If, if I'm getting stuff wrong, you have a different take, you're like, think I'm naive, uh, you know, reach out to me. Uh, probably Twitter DMs is the easiest way to get a hold of me. And like set up a meeting with me and like tell me where I'm wrong and correct me. I really appreciate that. James kind of g- gave me a really hard critique on my idea and I've still been thinking about it. It's the best one I've heard yet. And I'm really grateful for that that kind of critical feedback. I think that's, that's you know, that's how I've gotten as far as I've gotten, Duncan. And, and I want to keep it going. I want to keep, keep the learning curve like super steep, which means bring the pain. <laughs> I love that. That like, actually goes. I was going to give big shouts to people who are willing to like reach across the aisle in the culture wars. So <laughs> I feel like that aligns with that. <laughs> yeah, we'll right. how, how, how like learn, is. you know, learn what other people are thinking and like really try and engage with it. Um, Keep yeah. untilting people, Troy. You're you're the man. Big shouts to you. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me on. I really appreciate you know taking this much time with me and helping to, you know, educate me and having a this wonderful conversation, wonderful conversation today. Yeah. Thank you, yeah, Troy. I need, yeah. I need to go take a nap now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll talk more soon, man. We'll, we'll see you around. Thanks, James. Bye. Awesome. Cheers. See Bye. everybody.